Welcome back to Seaweed Brain, everyone, a Percy Jackson podcast where we are currently discussing The Sun and the Star. We are deep into this book. We are in Tartarus. We are searching for Bob. And we have a wonderful returning special guest. So stick around. All right. We are chapters 37 through something today, starting with 37, um, if you are <laughs> reading along. Um, and uh, I'm Erica, co-host, joined today by Carter. Hello, Carter, my co-host. Hi. And who basically might be uh, our third co-host at this point. It's Caitlin. <laughs> you know her as at Percibeth Feels Fandom and whatever your Minecraft burner accounts are. hi everyone it's me i'm back oh it's so wonderful to have you here it's always good to be here i was it's so fun i told my mom about this and she knows that i like frequent this podcast and she's like oh are you excited and i was like oh it's just like catching up with friends and then she's like oh that's nice and like she's like trying to understand you know that like you can have friends on the internet and it not be like weird she understands (laughs) because of real people you're not out here to like murder you yeah yeah we're all good and she supports this caitlin i love having you here specifically for this set of chapters too because we are going to revisit domison's hut and i distinctly remember doing that with you the first time um in house of hades yes i specifically asked for the like the bob heavy kind of um episodes I literally have like the tattoos of them. I don't know if you guys know <gasps> them. Oh my gosh, I haven't seen them. I remember telling you on that episode that I wanted to get it tattooed. Like the name of the episode was Tell the Sun and Stars Hello for Me. Um, and I got it tattooed. And then the last, uh, and then on my right wrist, it says The Sun Always Comes Back, which is from Tower of Nero, um, which is like one of the last lines from the entire series. So oh I was just gosh. like perfect (laughs) so sweet i love them yeah that's how much i love like bob as a whole as a character and like what he represented and so yeah coming back to like the sun and the star where it's all about saving bob i'm like i have to be here um and it's just like great coincidence that we're here for these chapters as well yeah um, we have one more housekeeping thing to take care of. We have been severely slacking on our promise to read um, questions that have been left for us in reviews. Nice reviews, five-star reviews. <laughs> if you give us like one star and ask us a question, we will ignore it. Not that anyone's <laughs> doing that, but I wouldn't know because I made Carter check them. So Carter, do we have anything we need to ask ourselves today? Sure. Um, tsunami246 asks what is your number one favorite moment in all the books from the lightning thief to the sun and the star whoa oh my gods <laughs> starting off intense um wow maybe it's just because we just talked about it but the first thing that came to my mind was the damn section not only is it like <laughs> such a sweet moment in my favorite book that's a strong answer but also i remember how hard carter used to laugh about that like all throughout middle school and high school and that was like a special memory to me you know, oh my God. I remember your episode for Titan's Curse when you <laughs> when when you initially like were talking about it and you like mentioned the same thing because like I do remember that and you like guys felt very strongly about Titan's Curse as well and I remember yeah. because I, Titan's Curse is like kind of on the lower end for me personally. That's okay. I respect that. You. But then that episode made me like <laughs> rethink. It made me rethink my thoughts about that. I was like, oh, maybe I need to read it for a tenth time and. <laughs> I don't know what my one would be. I mean, mine's probably like a Percibeth thing. I guess for the fact that I got it tattooed on myself, Percy and Annabeth being in Tartarus and then getting out, yeah. you know, with each other and then like following through with what Bob said and telling the sun and stars hello is probably my favorite. And that, like, yeah. enough that I would get it tattooed on my body forever. Oh, yeah. Also, everything Nico and Reyna do together is really special. Oh my. <laughs> We're just going to start bringing up like all of our like three brain best moments. Greatest hit. Yeah. The dagger in Charleston, you know, oops, you oh. dropped this. That will always hit <laughs> so hard. <laughs> wow. I'm struggling a lot with this. Um, it's like when someone asks you your favorite movie, you can't like actually have a yeah. favorite movie. You just have to choose yes. one of your favorites that comes to mind. I think 
the better question is like, what is your favorite right now? Right? Yeah. In this exact (laughs) moment. Yeah. In this exact moment with like these three things emotionally priming me and these two sections that I've recently talked about with other people, this is what's top of mind. For me, being primed as I have been with the recording that we did yesterday for the previous episode and the conversation we've had, some of which probably has been edited out. Um, I want to say, I'm thinking of like the end of the Mark of Athena when they actually fall in. I was thinking that too. Mm. I've been rereading a lot of the like dystopian um, fantasy manga that I was really into as like a teenager recently. And it's the same vibe of... Nostalgia? Nostalgia and emotional intensity and the sense of like teenagers with a lot of like scars and dirt on them do you know what i mean (laughs) internal and external yeah internal and external the idea of like percy (laughs) turning up and saying to nico like get them to the other end we'll meet you there and i'm not saying that like he was covered in spider webs and grime and dirt but he still looks so handsome yeah yeah (laughs) no i i know the language that you're speaking i understand the language that you're speaking like so real when Annabeth looks like a ghostly bride. Wow. All right. <laughs> Next. This is this is a comment that I'm including in here anyway. Emoji777 says, Erica, I listened to the concept album and you slayed so much. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out Thank to you. That. Stream it on Spotify. It's around. <laughs> it's really fun. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Theseus700 asks, which demigod Hi, from... Hi, Theseus. <laughs> which demigod <laughs> from Heroes of Olympus do you most closely identify with? Identify Ooh. with Raina. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's Percy for me. Um, that's what every quiz has told me. <laughs> I, I want to say, like, aspirationally, who I want to be in life is Talia. But if we're really talking right now, right here in this moment, Piper. <laughs> struggling. <laughs> the three stages. Absolutely struggling. <laughs> Surrounded by blonde men. oop um wow Um, damn blonde man keeping it real today (laughs) okay if we're keeping it real (laughs) (laughs) you pull a rogue character out and be like yeah no that's me (laughs) Carter I dare you to say Octavian (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking wouldn't that be so funny if I were to say Octavian. Um, That's silly goofy. <laughs> I feel like right now, specifically in the house, in the ah, in the Heroes of Olympus arc, I feel like it's Nico, probably. At this moment, mm-hmm. you could catch me a week from now and I might say something else, but yeah, I think that's the yeah. energy we have right now. Nice. Okay, <laughs> we need to speed this up. Just one more. Okay, this is the last one. Uh, significant underscore ace underscore noyance. I feel like I should just say that through significant ace noyance, right? Um, really excellent username. This is barely a question, and they acknowledge that in the like longer review that is left. But the question part is, have you seen that one scene in the new Shadow and Bone season where Wyland throws dust in his attacker's eyes, just like Annabeth? With the impause in House of Hades. Actually, that is the question. Have you seen the scene? A lot of people messaged me about this back in <laughs> really? when the season came out. Yeah. Yeah. They were like, oh my God, it was just like that scene with Annabeth. <laughs> or maybe this is the same person. But it's nice that you've like cemented your brand to the extent that yeah. um, basically you have crowdsourced notifications. Guys, where is the green light for season three? I'm going to cry and murder somebody. I. Yeah. Jesus, I know we're in the middle of multiple strikes, so it's not actually coming anytime soon, but like where is it? It better be it better be coming down the pipeline or I'm going to lose every last ounce of willpower I have left to go on. But yeah, slay for Wylan and Annabeth. Slay. Nerds, you know, people who know chemistry. <laughs> Probably, yeah. Good for them. Carter, you've read these now. I have read these now. Most importantly, if you want to hear Carter talk more about their thoughts on Shadow and Bone and Six of Crows, you can subscribe to our Patreon, where we did an entire episode on it. So true. We sure Ah. did. Okay. Shout out to everybody who left a question and a review. We might also forget for like a couple of months to do this, but this is fun and we will continue to to answer questions if they're left in nice reviews. Yes. All right. 
is attempt to die. Oh, wait, no, we're not going to dive in because we wanted to check in first. Caitlin, I believe you had some general book thoughts, thoughts up until now. I remember vividly the day that I like started this book was on the train, which was horrible because um, I was sitting next to my uncle. It was a full train on my way to work. First page, the literal dedication page where it says, oh, this is dedicated to the Nikos and the Pipers in the world. Started crying then and there. So already off to not a great start for Caitlin <laughs> Cries, as I'm known on um, Twitter and on TikTok. But it's actually probably one of my favorite Rick Riordan books now that I've read. I think in the grand scheme of all of his books, like it's just so well-written. And Nico is like one of mm-hmm. my favorite characters. And I feel like for a lot of queer people, we were all Nico or Will at some point in our <laughs> lives. So it was really speaking to me on a deep level. And I, yeah, I think it's just like a, such a lovely balance of his usual humor with the seriousness and darkness of the story. And I've never mm-hmm. actually read or finished um, a Mark Oshiro book, but this like definitely made me want to go out and like read more of his books because mm-hmm. I connected so deeply with stuff that was um, spoken about. And I was just like crying, <laughs> screaming, throwing <laughs> up. Like I also just like love the way that like the entire story is told. Like, it's so different seeing Solangelo. We actually get to see their story, like, get told, which I remember we all had a concern. We were just like, how are we going to get a Nico and Will book if we don't know how, you know, they originated? We don't know what their origin story was. But, like, this isn't their origin story. It's their present story, and it's also their future kind of story all in one. Yeah. This book felt like coming home in a way that some of the others maybe haven't as much because we don't have as much of an attachment to the characters or the world, you know, feels a little bit too different or maybe there's like just a little something missing, but like this, this felt like home. And I really, really heard Rick's voice, even though he was collaborating with someone like it's so interchangeable. Like I I can't distinguish the difference between the two. And I think that was really good. And I think really important for a collaboration because um, I feel like if you hear two different writers' voices in a story, then um, you lose touch with the plot because mm-hmm. you get caught up, you know, who's who or, you know, I prefer this person's writing over this person. But here it was just, it was so seamless. Yeah. So beautiful. I'm just so caught up in the fact that, like, this was such a perfect Nico book. Uh, he couldn't have written, like, a better book. And, like, the note that I have here is like so much of this book felt like an ode to me and the fact that you know (laughs) the Nikos and the Pipers it was really just like wow good stuff um and it was like being closeted being queer coming to terms with everything that meant to be like as a closeted queer woman and then as a person of color like all of that on top of each other it was just like bowling my eyes out and I was just like Nico is a person of color say it again Caitlin they looked into my soul and said hey Here's everything you felt growing up as a teenager and all the pain you felt in words in a place where everything like manifests as a physical thing and you get to battle it mm-hmm. and take yeah. it down. Cathartic. Yeah, it was really important to me to see him physically cut stuff down. Yes, this is a good book. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you for sharing all of that. Now we can continue. Oh, right. <laughs> Carter, where did we last leave off? We left off in the swamp in the center of Tartarus looking for Domison. On the banks of the Acheron. And I believe two monsters have just materialized, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Nico was trying to summon a skeletal army, like has he, how he usually reaches into the earth and like, whips up some bones, but instead he summoned some weird living-ish, you know, living for Tartarus creatures that happen to be covered in bones. And that's where we're taking off. Chapter 37. I think we mentioned this in our book tour recap episode, right? If you went to the book tour, you will recall who these creatures are. These are the ones that Mark said were their favorites, right? (laughs) Yes. Mark was like, these are my favorite characters I encountered one time as a child that I never found any more material on. And I really, really was excited to include them in this book. They, like, got up at the Boston Book Tour stop and were pointing at the specific, you know, like, concept art drawing of them on the screen behind. And they were like, I remember 
reading, I think they said it was like a history of um, Alexander the Great or something, right? Which is also mentioned in the actual text when these characters are introduced. And they were like, yeah, like these are my favorites. Look out for them when they show up. It, it was one of those things where I remember being there and being like, this is very good and I love the enthusiasm and I will try really hard to remember this. But unfortunately, all of these names are not registering with me right now because I've not read the book yet. <laughs> yeah. But we'll be on the lookout for some mention of Alexander the Great or something. But Erica had already read the book by the time the book tour came out. So locked and loaded, ready. These characters, even though they only appear for like a few pages, they're so specific to me. And I envision, okay, so they're called Etern- Eternae? Eternae? Sure. Mm-hmm. Which one is it? <laughs> I think Eternae is the more classical yep. Latin pronunciation. So they're called Eternae, um, and they're described as woolly mammoth goat monsters, but they their names are Carl and Bartholomew, and their whole gag is that they call each other bro, and they want to die so that they can collect more bones. So they're like, Nico, you sh-, like after they defeat the dog monsters that are chasing them um they're like nico you should kill us so that or you're like you should kill me so like i can get more bones so they're very silly goofy quirky in my head they were both voiced by taika waititi you know yeah it was just like taika yeah. waititi talk, like bro yeah like korg that's his name right korg yeah from thor ragnarok amazing movie i remember reading them being like this is such a percy jackson monster yes exactly very classical lineage yeah i was like I don't know how Rick manages to do it or like the way that obviously he's just very talented at what he does. You know, there's a reason why he's a writer. His monsters have such a certain feel to them. And like, this was like a perfect example. And it obviously shows just how much like Mark and him work together as a team. That's so interesting. I actually didn't know that. Love it. I think it's so adorable that Mark was like, oh my God, I have the opportunity to write like a two-page side character of like a silly monster like no one has ever heard about from mythology. This is my time to shine. <laughs> like, Yeah. Whipping out the hyperfixation from when you were 10 is, is so real. They're so real for that. I also think it's cute because we just had Will's realization that um, like things in the underworld aren't as black and white as he thought they were and now we have these like silly goofy dude bros who are like oh you should kill me bro you should kill me um and will and nico are both like this is a little bit too weird even for me (laughs) yeah nico at at this point is like i don't want to this feels weird one of them i believe like lays down and is like right here open (laughs) please go for it i want to win just like me for real (laughs) (laughs) and um and nico's like oh no this is uncomfortable so, of course, it, it ends with the, the two um, Eternae attacking Nico and Will, at which point Small Bob takes care of everything and takes out their throats. Good kitty. <laughs> I love the Eternae, like, sinking down into the ground with, like, a thumbs up just coming up out of the ground as they slowly disappear. And Will saying, let's never tell anyone about this. And Nico saying, oh, most definitely not. <laughs> and Small Bob saying, meow. Yeah, literally. Oh, it's like the end of an episode. Or like, go to commercial break. Yeah. Which we are actually about to do. <laughs> they leave Gorgyra's boat behind um, and like start walking into the swamp from here following Small Bob. And on page 360, Will Solis starts having his Eurydice solo song, Act Two Flowers, I Remember Fields of Flowers, um, moment mm-hmm. as he feels his identity <laughs> starting to slip away. He's like, I'm losing my memories and my sense of self the longer I'm down here in the underworld. But before he does that, like one thing he wants to tell Nico is like, I love you. Anais Mitchell would would agree. Mm-hmm. This is all about Hades Town, by the way. Listeners who... <laughs> I remember someone, someone by my side. He turned his face to mine and then I turned away into the shade. You... The one I left behind. If you ever walk this way, come and find me. Lying in the bed, I made. Moving on. I feel like we needed to let you have that moment. Like you really needed that. Thank you. As Will is like feeling himself slipping away, he's like, I love you. Nico is like, hey, remember what Annabeth said? Like, we need to keep telling Please stories. Me. We need to feel, yeah, we need to be cheesy, as cheese as possible. <laughs> Will saying to Nico, like, sometimes I'm lonely even when I'm around you. Which, oof, that's oh, yeah. a truth bomb right there. Oh, okay. The, I think I'm on the same page as you now. Uh-huh. When Will, like, actively says, like, oh, I didn't realize, you know, that it would be something I would have to consistently work on. 
both the relationship and also like mental health I'm assuming is kind of what it's inferring as well considering like that's like a really big topic that is discussed in this book um that like it's constantly a choice to you know, to get out of bed to choose to love someone to show them you know your love for them yeah you know up until this point obviously they've been having like problems in their communication and how they interact with each other and the roles that they play in each other's lives um and then the next thing that will says is he actively chooses and says is it okay to tell you that i'm scared like i remember reading that and i was just like oh Oh, it's so hard to be vulnerable oh yeah and it was just it was a really it was a lovely tender moment for a young relationship as well young queer relationship specifically to just be like hey i'm scared and you're the only other person who understands you know how i feel in this exact situation because you're also going through it and i don't want to go through it alone so can you be there for me and just like (laughs) Ah. <laughs> it's just so precious. Also, this is important. They're kind of having the like, who's going to sacrifice who conversation. And Nico is like, none of us are going to sacrifice ourselves. Like, we are going to get out of this together. I swear it on the river sticks. And Will is like, what the heck? What if one of us <laughs> does have to die in order to rescue Bob? And this entire thing was for nothing. <laughs> and Nico was like, oh, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. <laughs> oh, he's so real for that. Yeah. I love Will being like, okay, but for a second, can we like cut the like romantic drama? Like, we, like we're here to get something done, um, and you may have just jinxed it. He's like, why would you fuck us up like that? Like, we're literally so close. Nico retells all the stories that they told Gorgaira, um, to try and you know keep their positive, happy spirits alive. Um, on three sixty two, it says Nico then shared parts of his childhood he'd never talked about before. Good parts. He spoke of Bianca, his mytho magic set, the Lotus Hotel. Nico described as much brightness as possible. He imagined himself as a sun that shone on Will and cast him in warmth. He had to, because shadows swallowed them on all sides. Gnarled roots threatened to trip them up, and thorny vines hung menacingly from the branches. They walked. Remember in House of Hades when I said that I wasn't aware of how good Rick Riordan was at imagery until I read House of Hades? Yeah, there's just something about Tartarus that, like, rick gets because i can fit like it's literally around me like when you were reading that out mm-hmm. oh it's so good nico imagining himself as the sun here can we talk mm-hmm. about queerness <laughs> that's sun and the star this like like dating the sun and then learning how to become the sun yourself yeah the constant interchange of roles that they're playing in this relationship a prominent intellectual once gave a sermon uh in which they um, talked about... They're just talking about the PowerPoint <laughs> that our friend JD gave at our PowerPoint party that was called Queering Heterosexuality. Continue, Carter. Yes. <laughs> the the theoretical underpinning of the idea of queering heterosexuality is about the idea <laughs> of finding sameness as a source uh, and a reason for attraction and for connection and the sustenance of a relationship. And I think that that is the core of what we're seeing here. We are seeing that experience of Nico saying, I'm in a relationship with somebody that I'm learning things from, that I'm growing towards as well as alongside, and that I, I, I'm i finding this thing that you have that you can do, and I'm valuing it, and I'm learning how to incorporate that as a part of myself and as part of my practice. And I think that that is very much in in the spirit of of what our friend described in this again very important work of uh, critical theory that was presented last December at um, our other friend's uh, living room. For the record, my PowerPoint was about which Timothy Chalamet character all of my friends would date. So that's and it the level also of content that, PowerPoint that we were receiving. <laughs> was a hit, and there were no misses. <laughs> I would like everybody to guess which one I gave to Carter. <laughs> Let me know. Oh, my. Um. <laughs> would you like to read page 364 to the end of the chapter, Caitlin? You don't have to, but I thought maybe you would have fun with it. Yes. Happily, Nico walked towards the sound of small bob and found him perched on an enormous root. The calico looked up at Nico and purred loudly. What is it? He asked. What did you find? Small bob turned his head to the side. 
The trees were sparser in that direction. Beyond them, there were no more mangrove roots and no more yellow mist. Well, Nico said, practically vibrating. Well, I think we're here. Smallball bounded forward and Nico chased him, dragging a stumbling will behind him. The trees parted and Nico gasped as they burst into the clearing. To his right was an enormous oak. It leaned so far to the left that Nico wasn't sure why it hadn't completely fallen over. He noticed it grew not from the ground, but out of a frighteningly large dragon skull. But there, in the direction the tree pointed, was a hut. It had a strange dome made of green leather and... Were those bones? Maybe. The dark entryway was on the side facing where they exited the swamp, and Nico almost slipped on the mossy rocks as he scrambled towards it. Two large femurs were situated on either side of the door, their top ends stained black. Demason! Nico called out. Demason, we are friends. Are you here? He heard Will say something behind him, but Nico didn't stop. He needed this. They needed this. After so much pain and suffering, they had to have this win. Nico skidded to a stop in front of the hut. He tore, he tore free from his... Ah! He tore free his sword, holding it aloft so it would illuminate the darkness, and stepped inside. His heart dropped to his feet. Will shuffled up next to him. Where is he? he asked. Where is Demason? Nico wanted to cry. The hut is empty, he said. He's gone. All right, we're going to take a quick break there. Okie dokie. This was a okay. twist I was not expecting. Yeah. Like, I was genuinely surprised. I was like, whoa, crazy. He can still surprise me after 20 books. <laughs> yeah, which leads me to ask the question, why do you think, why do you guys think this choice was made? Um, Probably like so that we wouldn't have a repeat of like how House of Hades like went. Mm. Logically, like as someone, you know, personally who writes, like I think that would be why. Rick wanted maybe to stir things up. Maybe it could even have been the influence of Mark. Being like, oh, maybe like there's something that I want to do that's a bit different. And I think, yeah, the comparison maybe like not wanting to be like Percy and Annabeth as well could be a point. Like they needed to do something on their own, even though they've been doing this entire thing alone. But yeah, it was an it's an interesting choice. But I feel like it was a good one because it caught a lot. I'm sure it caught a lot of us off guard. Yeah, definitely caught me off guard. Carter, do you have any thoughts? It definitely dovetails with the choice to have so much of the book set before we get to Tartarus. Like, I don't think that we have the right amount of time for it to feel, I don't know, like earned in terms of the pacing to pause and regroup and get like a power up here as opposed to kind of continuing to fall apart and have to struggle forward on our own for a little bit as we make that last push. Uh, to the like third act climax of where we're going in the book. I don't know. I, I think that the like journey that Percy and Annabeth were on in Tartarus was one for which Damasen felt more appropriate. Like they were older people trying to renegotiate problems that they had with like their past actions and mm. um, trying to understand I don't know. I feel like so much of that was this like slow transition of Percy and Annabeth um, into becoming like, I don't want to say elders, but almost, you know, like um, it, it, it was having right. these thoughts about like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ab about like learning how to step back and figure out like what we owe to each other and what are um, the consequences yes. into the future of what is going on. And I think Domison is really appropriate for all of that. Um, and I, I don't know. I, I guess there is something in this that we're having about like Will revaluing his relationship to the beings of the underworld and Tartarus and learning to see complexity in that. But I do feel like like we've insofar as Damasen is somebody who's gonna teach us that lesson, he already has taught us that lesson. You know? Yeah. I um, was also gonna say, sorry to cut you off because I'm going to forget it. No. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was like Nico knew. Demason's hut was going to be there as well. So he was relying on that. Whereas Percy and Annabeth, mm -hmm. they have nothing. They have nothing to rely yeah. on. So it makes sense for them to, you know, have a little saving grace. Whereas mm -hmm. Nico, um, like, he knows he's got something to kind of rely on here. And I feel like maybe that's why he kind of felt, like, safe 
I say safe in mm-hmm. very vague quotation marks because it's Tartarus, but like knowing that he had something to fall back on um, and telling Will, you know, to keep your hope up for this. Mm-hmm. And then whereas if, if he doesn't have that then, then he can then take on that role responsibility and be like, okay, let's get us back on track then if we don't have this. Or even for Will to step up in Tartarus and mm-hmm. yeah. uh, support Nico. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely made them feel more isolated in a way, Mm -hmm. helping to set them apart specifically as like the two of them versus everything else. Yes. Because specifically when Nico wakes up in the middle of the night, one of the like most vivid memories I have from Heroes of Olympus is when Percy and Annabeth like wake up in Domison's cabin and they can hear Domison and Bob speaking. And he's like, you know, they're like cooking and stuff. Yeah, and they can just kind of hear those it's sounds. Domestic. It's domestic, it's sweet, it's cozy. And even though they're talking about like, you know, closing the doors of death and it's really high stakes, it's that, that we talked about this, like that sense of comfort and being taken care of that you like feel when your parents are like moving about the house in the wee hours in the morning. And they, Nico and Will didn't have, don't have that, you know? And I think <laughs> not only does that kind of isolate them more like in their journey, but I think it's maybe... I don't know, like interestingly relatable for maybe people who relate to this book that like, you know, there isn't always that comfort in home in the same way that like maybe Percy and Annabeth experience it. But they they take that solace in each other. <laughs> I think to your point, the the idea of further establishing Nico and Will as a solitary unit is important literally just because we don't have as much of that. Like we haven't yes. actually spent that much time with the yes. two of them. Whereas with Percy and Annabeth, I don't think at that point in the House of Hades, you were like, we don't know what their dynamic is by themselves. We need to spend more time with them as a couple for us to understand how they are continuing to like evolve when no one's around. I think the the lesson at that point was for them to, as a pair of people, figure out their connections to others and to, to yeah. reconcile their ideas about like how they have had to do everything with you know a, a broader community of of people and that's just not the project necessarily that we have with nico and will at this point yeah they're not th- that is not the project um but anyway as they're sitting by this by this little crackling fire in the empty hut and there's some like nasty flirting and then on 367 <laughs> i just thought it was it was a lot for me my my little sun globe please <laughs> um girl get up I would yeah. punch. I would punch them both individually for that. <laughs> well, there's a reason why they're doing it alone and not with other people around them. Like, it's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Can Domison cut in here because I can't? Small Bob just in the corner being like, "What?" Small Bob is me. Truly, he's like, "What the hell?" Like Percy and Annabeth were not like this. <laughs> but anyway, this this is a really sweet section. Three sixty seven. Nico felt a wave of affection towards Will. Maybe because the two of them were getting closer to locating Bob. But he also wondered, as sleep finally began to claim him, if it was because Will was trying. He wanted to understand Nico, even the parts that seemed difficult or sad. All Nico needed was to be seen and heard by someone he cared for. And Will was making the effort. We all need someone to stay. Ugh. It's just about the effort. Like... Whether or not it's successful or easy, you know, it's it's about the trying and the, like the, the the desire to get to know and to be there. What makes this paragraph so emotional to me is Nico having the self awareness in his internal monologue to realize this and to like acknowledge the wave of affection he's feeling and be like, hmm, is this is this because I feel seen and known and I am letting myself be known? Wow. Um, Emotional intimacy. intimacy. The intimacy of being known by someone. (laughs) Especially for Nico, who always shuts everybody out. They're insane. I'm realizing now that like the chapters are so short. Because I've only read this once. And then I've just like, I'm just skimmed through like during this reread. But like the chapters are actually so short. Yeah. Once we get to Tartarus, we're really we're really cooking. We're like there's a lot of, you know, events that happen as we as we're heading to Tartarus, but once we get to Tartarus and we're like caught up with the Gorgyra timeline, we're just kind of like moving, moving, moving. Mhm. Yeah. Nico does fall asleep. There's a nightmare. It's about his mother and his sister 
it seems like maybe it's not a nightmare at first. They're watching a festival from a balcony in Italy, but then it turns into a nightmare and she pushes him off the balcony. <laughs> I mean, we've all had that nightmare. <sighs> <sighs> Haven't we? It's a canon event. <laughs> but he wakes up and, again, it's, it's that, that extremely different moment from the Percy Annabeth wake up. But Nico wakes up in the middle of the night from a nightmare and instead of hearing, you know, the sounds of Domison and Bob speaking in the other room, he sees the fire flickering, quote, it sent shadows dancing along the ceiling, and Nico watched them as he regained his breath. And then he, like, turns and sees Will's, like, soft blonde hair and just remembers that he's not alone. Nico lying, like, lying down and just, like, watching the shadows flicker as he breathes to calm himself down. <gasps> It's so visual. It's like, and it's also like, it's like scarily intimate. Like, I almost like feel I'm intruding on something because like this is such a soft moment for him to like allow himself to like acknowledge, like as you said before, his affection for Will in a way that like he doesn't normally, even when Will is awake and interacting with him because like they're always like still bantering with each other. And of course, Nico would watch Shadows to calm himself down in the same way that like somebody else would count sheep, you know? Then Nico goes back to sleep. And uh, in chapter 39, they both wake up. And now it's like weirdly freezing, which we are attributing to Nix's fault. Um, Nico like wraps himself in a sheepskin, which I felt vaguely has must have some kind of symbolism, even if just to like kind of paint him as a little greek hero demigod that he is as we head into our final boss battle it just felt kind of like weirdly significant to me you know like if we were reading like the sound and the fury this would be like what does the sheepskin mean um <laughs> and it would be something about innocence and childhood and um yeah i was gonna say virginity would, and like yeah. <laughs> <sighs> oh, oh William you know I'm remembering because i remember I spoke about this with the original series, how each book is like obviously meant to represent like a Greek hero. Would this be like Othello and Eurydice? Orpheus and Eurydice. Would it? Would that be representative of this? Because they went down the same thing to get in. Yeah, there's there's a lot of parallels. It's not like a full like one to one journey like the Sea of Monsters yeah, yeah. is to the Odyssey, but yeah, there's a lot of similarities. Mm. Yeah, Nico is trying to amp himself up to return to Nix's palace. Will pulls out a Ziploc bag full of golden Oreos, a granola bar, and a banana. And that's, I loved that. In the same way that you were saying, Caitlin, that like the Eterne are such like classic Ryder characters. Yeah, like I think that pulling out a Ziploc bag in the middle of your quest of golden Oreos, a granola bar, and a banana is so demigod core. (laughs) And little snackies. Yeah, it just made me really nostalgic. (laughs) I feel like it's such a happy mix of like nostalgia in the way that it's like written because we can draw these parallels, but it doesn't feel like, like a new person could read this book, you know? They won't get everything. Like, they won't get all of the, like, the little inside jokes, but, like, they can read it and understand it and at least uh, understand, like, the plot to an extent. But it's, like, such a nice nostalgia for us. Like, he wrote this for us, genuinely. For the Nikos and the Pipers. Yeah. Sorry. I'm <laughs> caught up on it. I will not be recovering. I'll speak, sorry, side tangent. I know we're running out of time. But, like, the dedication in the Percy Jackson and the Chalice of Gods, like, I oh, threw yeah. up, I'm pretty sure. Like, <laughs> Just in case people, someone didn't see it, Caitlin, explain what it is. Oh, I, can't, I don't know what word for it, but it's like, it's basically two Walker, Leah, and Aryan. Like, oh! It's very sweet. <laughs> please, dear God, please, dear God, let AMPTP agree <laughs> to the proposals set by WGA and SAG-AFTRA so that things can proceed, everyone can uh, receive fair contracts, and Rick and the kids can go out and promote the TV <laughs> show. I'm begging, please. Very please. Please. It's literally, it's not fine, but it will be. It will be fine. Okay. Sorry. Sidetrack. Yeah. Let's continue. Uh, no, no worries. As we're walking, trying to find Bob, trying to head probably towards the palace, Nico and Will are like, okay, we need to, uh, this is where we're like, we need to lay on the cheese so that we like keep our spirits up. Would anybody mind reading like bottom of 373 to the bottom of 374? Will was silent for a moment. I was asking more about your mom. 
The comet shocked Nico so much that he misstepped and his foot landed in a pool of freezing cold muck. He shook off his boot. Sorry, Will said softly. I'm not trying to pry, I'm just curious since you don't um, talk about her all that much. Nico felt a brief flash of irritation, but this time he pushed past it. Will wasn't being obtuse or rude about Nico's past. He genuinely seemed to want to know more about him. So Nico smiled at his boyfriend. It's okay, he said. It's just that, well, I don't get much time with her before Zeus killed her. I'm sorry, I I shouldn't have brought... Nico held out his arm and stopped Will. But I do have memories of her. He told Will about his most recent dream, explaining that the memory at the heart of it made him feel loved. Sometimes I have to remind myself of that, he said. That people did love me when I was younger. Will seemed to chew that over in his mind. Because it's harder for you to remember that when things get dark, right? He nodded. Yeah, that's more or less it. Small bowed me out at them, as if he was saying, stop being sappy and follow along. So they continued, doing their best to avoid the sharp, angular stones in the forest, as well as the mysterious puddles of lightly glowing liquid. Will asked more questions. Did Nico's dream bother him? Why did he think Nyx or Epiolis changed it the way they did? Did he have other nice memories of childhood? Sure, Nico said. Some are easier to recall than others. It's hard, though, because sometimes I feel like it was all so long ago. Because of the Lotus Hotel? He shook his head. I don't think that's it. When I started talking to Mr. D about the whole PTSD thing in the summer, he told me it's actually really common for those of us who are dealing with it to feel as if our lives happened to someone else. To someone else? It's a way for my mind to protect itself, basically. If it happened to someone else, it's not as painful to me. I don't have to relive things like, well, you know. We'll clutch Nico's hand. You don't have to say it. Let's just stick to positive memories while we're here, okay? Deal, said Nico. That PTSD thing got me in regards to like saying like, oh, it's a way for the mind to protect yourself, basically. It's like, wow, Rick really said, hey, you guys were already in pain by my dedication. Well, every time, you know, Nico decides to talk about, you know, his past and his feelings, or we're going to rip you open even more and rub salt into the wound for fun. (laughs) (laughs) Like silly goofy thing i i love this whole paragraph on 374 that's just dedicated to will asked more questions and then just like just listing out all of the questions will is asking nico because nico just had the realization that he feels affection towards will because of will trying to get to know him it's not like will hasn't been trying to get to know him this whole time but i think that this is a moment of of nico realizing like okay if i want to continue to feel affection for this boy and I want to continue to allow myself to be open, I have to let him ask me things and I have to make an effort to be open and to tell yeah. him things. And like opening up about his PTSD, wow. Like so huge. Like gross. So huge. Oh, I'm so proud of him. I'm so proud of him. I'm so proud of him. You know, this book is so – we have said this before. The, the real journey of this book Obviously, battling Nyx is a big, giant metaphor, but it's really about Nico and Will's small interpersonal moments between them. And like you said, Carter, like like the, the project is so different from what Percy and Beth were doing in Tartarus. So like every little section where like so much of this book is just them walking and talking. <gasps> yeah. And like That's the fact that like the beginning of the story is literally like, tell me your story. Oh my God. Like it, it's so well done. And I genuinely like love it so much because- it feels like it's just a continuous conversation of healing because um, yeah, obviously like Nico is never able or never allowed himself to heal by speaking to other people, let alone someone that he's meant to be like emotionally intimate with. No, like seeing Nico feel that flash of irritation, but choosing to push past it and like be like, okay, Will's not being rude. <laughs> um, <laughs> he really does want to know more. Oh, and also, that, like, I have to remind myself that people did love me when I was younger. Having known Nico as we did when he was younger. We knew. We watched him Pushing grow everyone up. away. We watched him grow up. Like, Nico, I know you had to remind yourself because you really were like, I don't have a home. It was like. I will not live at Camp Half-Blood. Like, we were there. I'm remembering that Battle of the Labyrinth when Percy just, like, invites him inside to have some cake. And then I think that was referenced here in this book as well. Or maybe it was in another point of view where we had Nico and he like mentions that that was like one of the first times like or he like felt like genuine kindness and like that's where his crush with Percy started or whatever oh so from here we walk into a clearing 
And Nico's like, this clearing feels oddly familiar. It's definitely where Oculus usually hangs out. But again, we're on a, we're on a different project. We're on a different journey. <laughs> Will is like, uh, maybe we should just kind of keep going. And Nico's like, all right, let's keep going. <laughs> we just kind of zoom on by. <laughs> just picturing them like scurrying across a big open field of sand. Yeah, like the imagery is just like... <laughs> when there's like a black spot on the ground where like Percy totally effed Oculus up. <laughs> and then it's just like, it's a comical like, you kind of look at it and it's like, we'll just keep going. Yeah, it's like, yeah, let's yeah, just, like, keep, just going. keep going. Uh, whatever it is also is like the same way I pictured like the setting for King of Scars, if anyone has read that book, which is like kind of like sand and like nothingness. Uh, we zoom right on by. On page 379, things start to get confusing. There's like a dark path. Only Nico can see it. We're not sure why, because Will's pretty sure he's been seeing Tartarus for what Tartarus is at this point. But Will is just going to have to trust Nico and uh, follow him into the dark. Love of mine, someday you will die. Certainly a metaphor. And this is really like, here's where we, we really kick into Orpheus and Eurydice territory. Nico in front, Will in back, like following each other into darkness. But of course, that would make in this scenario, Nico the Orpheus and Will the Eurydice. Again, switching uh, roles back and forth, finding love through sameness. <laughs> Nico says, just hold on tight and stay directly behind me. Okay. I can do that, said Will. Wait for me. I'm coming. Reprise. And then, ooh, okay. Caitlin, do you want to give us another imagery reading to the end of the chapter? Okay, beautiful. All right. So this is 380. One foot in front of the other. That's what he had to focus on. He shook off his nerves and began walking. Each step was intentional and careful, and soon he was firmly above a void that did not end. Nico did his best to steady his shaky knees while crossing this perilous tightrope. He kept his eyes locked on the doorway ahead. If he looked down, he'd probably lose it and pitch over the side from vertigo. He inched closer and closer, and every so often, Will pulled down on the bag to keep his own balance. As they neared the doorway, Nico saw that it, too, was swirling with darkness. Pinpricks of starlight gleamed through the passage. Then the darkness spun away, and Nico spotted something new beyond it. Nico, said Will, oh gods. Nico, Will could see it, too. Nico reached for the stone arch of the doorway, only to shriek as it gave way and hundreds of black beetles crawled over his hand and up his arms. Oh gods, he'd forgotten what this place was made of. He jerked back hard, too hard, and the backpack crashed into Will. Will moved with the speed of lightning, whipping around and snatching the front of Will's hoodie as he started to fall backwards. The fabric stretched. He heard the seams tearing. Nico! Will cried out, and he grabbed Nico's arms for support. Nico yanked him up and caught him in an embrace, tears pouring down his face. He held Will tight there at the end of the path as the void begged Nico to let go, to give over the son of Apollo. I got you, he breathed into Will's ear. I got you. After a moment, the two of them turned towards the doorway, and there was no hesitation any longer. They both ran through the arch, and there, on the other side of it, pulsing and shaking, was an enormous regeneration pod. Its fleshy membrane was practically clear, and inside, struggling within a yellowish goo, was Bob the Titan. We're here. We did it. We did it. We found well, it. Kind of. We found it. This is the moment where I was like, oh, I guess it really wasn't Nico all along, was it? Like, up until this moment, I was like, Delulu, like, maybe Nico will be struggling in regenerative goo and he will, like, face himself. No, it was Bob. That's fine. <laughs> it wasn't a deep metaphor. It wasn't Frozen 2. That's okay. It wasn't Frozen 2. <laughs> it wasn't Suzume. <laughs> we made it. We found Bob. Like, was that even hard? <laughs> oh my it only took us 381 pages <laughs> well caitlin any final meditations on the nature of Solangelo feels persebeth feels tartarus metaphors ptsd wow there's a real wide range of topics to take from there I feel as if Solangelo's probably I, i'm probably correct in saying this but like it's the biggest ship after persebeth I'm assuming in terms of fan base. And I feel like this book has just done a really good job at setting them apart individually, um, like as separate entities, because I feel like people are just drawing a lot of comparisons between the two, especially with them now going to Tartarus and they have that mirror 
with you know Percival also going to Tartarus and being like the only like demigods to be able to do it. But I think that we just got to know them so well here, and it's such a I, I said it before like it's such a great origin story, such a great way to tell the current story, and then like now seeing how they carry everything new that they've learned about each other into the future is just like it makes me warm and cozy on the inside to know that they have each other, you know. Absolutely. Um, I don't think I can remember any, like, actually, I do remember a Percival parallel, um, pulling them up from the ledge. Yes, exactly. Yes. It's probably the biggest one. That would probably be the only other. I'm glad you picked up on that because I felt like I was like, am I hallucinating or is this a little bit of a callback to the end of Mark of Athena? No, no. It's definitely a callback, especially like, I got you. It's like, it's the same energy as like, we're okay or like, we're together. Yeah. Actually, no, it's, it's we're together because the quote is like, we're together. And he didn't say that it was okay because it didn't matter. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's really important because we know that Persebeth is the epitome of, you know, romance. That we're having a lot of callbacks to Persebeth um, because we know that baseline, you know. If you if you guys are like somewhat at the same level as Persebeth, then you're safe. You know, Rick, Rick's got our backs, you know. He's not going to mm-hmm. do anything stupid. He's not going to be silly goofy, you know? But I, I love Samanja. I think when I, when I was first introduced to it, I think it was such a cute, little warm teenager romance. I think I read it as a teenager. I don't know why I'm saying teenager romance. But like as a very youthful like relationship, very young. And now reading it older and seeing, you know, Nico have grown up um, and Will, knowing more about Will as a character as well, uh, it's been so nice. And... I think they're in really safe hands. And people were saying it was too rushed. They can sit down now because we now know their origin story. And it was actually, in fact, so cute. I think that's all I have to say. Well, thank you so much, Caitlin, for joining us for this section of chapters. Next week, when we are back, we will be joined by a semi-first-time guest who um, is a real-life knower of Richard and Rebecca Riordan. So (laughs) stick around for that. See you guys next time. Bye, all. Bye.